When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Elevate Your Leadership with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love to have leadership discussions with people who not only bring great value to me and my organization, but these are people who I know are going to bring great value to you and your organization. Today is a repeat guest. It's a special guest. I have retired U.S. Navy Captain Hung Kao. I previously had Hung on the show and we had a great leadership discussion about two months ago. And I wanted Hung to come back and talk more about his campaign as he runs for the 10th Congressional District in the state of Virginia. For those of you who haven't heard my previous discussion with Hung, I'm going to go ahead and tell you just a little bit about him before we say hello and officially welcome him to the show. Hung Kao is a retired Navy captain who served in special operations for 25 years. He and his wife, April, are the parents of five beautiful children whom they homeschool. After their 13th move across the United States and around the world in the service of our nation, Hung and April made their home in Percival. Did I say that right? Yes, sir. Yep. Percival, Virginia, where they have been active in their community and their church, Cornerstone Chapel, for the last five years. Hung is a refugee from Vietnam and an immigrant to the United States. Hung's family escaped in 1975, shortly before the fall of Saigon. We're going to talk about that a little bit. After a brief stay in the United States, his family relocated to West Africa, where he was educated in French schools before returning to Annandale, Virginia in 1982. Hung is a proud member of the inaugural graduating class at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Moved by the opportunities afforded to his family, Hung vowed to serve in his newly adopted country and was accepted to the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Upon graduation, he served as a deep sea diver and explosive ordnance disposal officer. As a Navy diver, he salvaged several plane wreckages, including the recovery of John F. Kennedy Jr., Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, and Lauren Bissett. Hung deployed in combat to Iraq, Afghanistan, and Somalia, serving alongside special forces and SEAL teams. Hung's non-combat assignments include balancing the Navy's $140 billion budget at the Pentagon, writing Department of Defense policy, working with the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force in San Diego, California, establishing a sheriff's bomb squad in Monterey, California, 
and participating in humanitarian and disaster relief in Pakistan. In his private time, Hung has served multiple nonprofit organizations and gone on mission trips around the world. Hung and his family established a 501c3, which builds beeping Easter eggs for children with visual impairments. Super cool. Hung returned from his last deployment to Afghanistan in January 2021 and was retiring from the United States Navy in October when Kabul fell, eerily similar to his native Saigon, leaving hundreds of Americans stranded and abandoning our teammates. These events and the issues that are crippling our nation prompted him to run for the U.S. House of Representatives in Virginia's 10th Congressional District. Washington has forgotten that it works for the American people and needs a reminder. As Ronald Reagan said, we the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. Hung believes that Virginia needs a representative who upholds the values of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Long introduction. Welcome, Hung Kao. No, thank you so much for having me here, Bob. It's great to be face-to-face with you. I know, uh, you know we're sitting across from each other from the table here. Yeah, that's great. The last podcast discussion that we had was Zoom format. So, you know, we're able to see each other, but it's great to be in person and and sit across the table from each other. So, and of course, we are in the broadcast studios at iFly Virginia Beach, high atop the third floor, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, it's just, uh, it's a wonderful place to be. So, Hung, if people listened to our last episode, we got to know how you became the leader you've become through your military career, through your personal experiences, etc., And you've taken that and decided to run for the 10th district in the state of Virginia, which is awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your campaign, why you got into it or where you are in your campaign? Again, this is a leadership thing. Let's not forget how we get there. You know, I wasn't just born a leader yesterday. It's just guys like you who taught me along the way. Um, Bob was one of my instructors at that school when I, I first went there in 1996 put a beat down on him, yeah, exactly. made him do thousands of push-ups. Yeah. No, but you know, it, leadership is leadership is leadership, right? Whether it's in the military or an industry where you and I are both working and in, in, in Congress where I will soon be, it's all about leadership. It's about listening to your, the people who, um, who you have advising you and moving forward with a plan. And so the campaign's gone really well. We had a, a very crowded field co- coming in. Everybody said, you can't be, it can't be done because Honestly, when I jumped in the race, it was very late. It was in January and uh, there were already 10 other people in the race. So I was running, you know, it was an 11 person uh, primary and we won wow. that primary with 53% of the vote. Wow. 11 person primary. Who were some of your competitors and, and what was, you know, what was the competition like? You know, they were all great Americans. And I want to tell the, uh, our constituents is that, hey, they, they couldn't go wrong, right? I mean, it was a win-win-win situation for them. And uh, honestly, we, were, we weren't running against each other. We were running towards the same goal. I just happened to cross the finish line one step before everybody else did. They're all great supporters of mine now, and they, they really rallied behind me to, to really just put order back into Congress. Some of these included elected officials, county supervisors who've been serving that position for eight and a half years. There's another county supervisor down in Manassas. There are, uh, there's uh, an executive from Oracle. He was a lawyer. There was uh, a couple of Air Force, Space Force guys. Uh, you know, they deal a lot with the uh, satellites and NRO, but really just great Americans who want to make a difference in this world and make a difference in, in our country because they saw that our country is going in the wrong direction and they wanted to put a stop to it. For sure. You said NRO. What's, what's NRO? I'm sorry, <laughs> National Reconnaissance Office. 
back in days it was very secretive uh, organization yeah and then but now you know they deal a lot with the satellites we we don't realize that that but there's and we're putting new satellites up in orbit you know everything from your dish network your direct tv to to really the national tactical media yeah and elon musk and, and his network too yes. you know <laughs> so so super cool you know i love the fact that you're running i love what you represent and if i sound a little bit biased to the listeners out there let there be no doubt about it i'm biased i'm biased because i know the man hung Kao. And I know that Hung is good for not only for his district, which is primarily why he's running, but he's going to bring great representation and great leadership and great knowledge to the body, to the Congress itself. Hung, can you tell us a little bit about what you envision for, how, how do you envision your role? How are you going to enter the Congress? Well, remember, we're all representatives, right? And, you know, I, I work for the people. And I'm supposed to represent them. The, the incumbent right now is nowhere to be seen. She's not anywhere in the district. Again, when I was in command, it, it frustrated my, my personal staff because they could never see me at my desk. They would, they're like, Captain, we're looking for you everywhere. I'm like, well, you should look for me out in the, the yards. with me. <laughs> And that's where I always was. I was always around, walking around and find out how, what was going on and, and what was wrong so I could help fix it. It put my department heads on edge because... They'd always have to make sure they got the information before me because I'd come back and say, hey, you know, Seaman so-and-so's wife's having birth today. Why is he here today? Or did you realize the jacket water pump in uh, the YDT is broken today? And, and so the chief engineer, uh, sir, I was about to come tell you. I'm like, oh, no, it's fine. Just let me know what I need to do to get that uh, part to you. But that's what I envisioned myself being for, for the House of Representatives is for the uh, Virginia's 10th district is I, I plan to be out there and talking to people and finding out what's wrong and the things that the easy things, Hey, we're going to take care of right away. The harder things, you know, it's going to take a while and, and the impossible things is going to take just a little longer. That's it. Do you have uh, agenda items at this point? Are there things that you want to address specifically for your district? So the district, I think nationwide, everybody's just tired of the economy. I mean, just the other day, filling up is over $5 a gallon now. I remember I was telling my wife, like, remember when we first got married here in Virginia Beach? It was 99 cents a gallon right across the street. Wow. And now it's like more than $5. The economy is, is is what's crippling our country right now. You know, we're we're oil producing country, yet we're we're buying oil from somewhere else, and it's costing us a lot of money. And that's a trickle down effect. So it costs more to transport something from point A to point B than the cost of that product is going to be more. Farmers can't farm very well because again, their farm equipment requires diesel fuel, and the cost of diesel even more outrageous than what unleaded gas is. And then the other thing is just secure, safety and security for our country. We need to secure the border. It's not about you know immigration only, but also the the amount of people coming across the border. You know, back in the days, we're talking about less than one percent that are other than Mexicans, right? It's classified as OTMs, other than Mexicans, but really anybody that's not from South America. Today, we're talking about more than fifteen to twenty percent that are called SIA, special interest aliens, from places like Yemen, Syria, Somalia, Nigeria, Russia, China coming through the southern border. And so we need secure the border for as a matter of national defense. And the last thing is the education. In Virginia, in Northern Virginia, where I come from is the famous or the infamous Loudoun County, where they're pushing critical race theory and they're pushing a lot of agendas that doesn't have anything to do with reading, writing, and arithmetic. In fact, they've gone so far as to hire a hacker to go into the computers of parents who question things uh, about, hey, what is critical race theory? And they would redirect their, their website. I mean, this is what communist China does. 
you know, but it's happening in Loudoun County. And so education is an important thing in our district as well. Yeah, that's huge. So let's uncover those three things a little bit, because you hit the three things that are on everybody's mind, everybody's radar screen. If you're a parent, you certainly care about education, which is the last thing you mentioned. The border is unbelievably porous. Uh, We probably have out of, we'll say first world countries, maybe even second and third world countries, we probably have the most porous border on our southern border compared to some of these other countries. And and I've been to these countries and you've been to these countries. So it's not speculation. I've gone through borders. For example, I've gone from Latvia to Estonia. I've done the process at the border checkpoint as an American. So there are processes in place around the world that we're just totally ignoring on the southern border. But economy, let's start there. We're all feeling it. There's no doubt about it. What shocks me, and I don't know why anything shocks me anymore, is the economy is in a free fall, and it's entirely based on the Biden administration's manipulation of fuel production and fuel accessibility in our country. There's just no question about that. But it's so much more, like you said, it's so much more than $5 at the pump. When fuel goes up, everything goes up because transportation, airlines, your local police department and their cruisers and the school buses that bring our kids to school, all our military machinery, everything relies on fossil fuel, like it or not. Destruction of the economy is not the way to make the transition. Now, I believe in in green initiatives for sure. We own a Tesla, but not everybody can afford a Tesla. So the economy is huge. There's big problems there. And for you to recognize that, you know, the other problem is your opponent is a Democrat. And so she is just towing the party line. Do you want to talk about that a little bit in terms of the economy? Her stance is that, hey, I'm with Joe. Well, Joe's destroying this country. Who, who's responsible? Well, the people who backed him and, and backed his play. And we need Congress that keeps the executive branch in check. Let's start the the uh, Keystone XL pipeline again. Let's start drilling our own country. Let's be energy independent. And like you said, yes, we need to look at alternative energy, wind, solar, those are great, but they're not sustainable. Let's look at nuclear power. I mean, we've been using nuclear power for 75 years in the United States Navy safely. None of our our reactors on board are cruisers. Uh, You know, we used to have nuclear cruisers. On, on cruisers, carriers, and submarines have ever gotten even close to being critical, much less super critical. Also, remember all the water that takes to cool the uh, nuclear power plants or the rods, really, you can use it as a, a uh, basically a four-stage evaporator. And imagine a place like California without a drop because you have unlimited supply of water. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a lot of secondary effects, but people are, when they hear nuclear power, they're like, oh, you know, I don't want nuclear power. Well, why not? You know, you just got to be more educated and there's safe means. Like Hyman Rookover came up with very good measures to control and make sure that we have a safe uh, operating program for nuclear power. You know, and it's, it's kind of like you said, too, this destruction of the economy goes directly to our national security status. And uh, I personally think that it was a deliberately calculated move on Putin's part to invade the Ukraine, which, by the way, one of the drivers behind the invasion are the gas and oil resources in Ukraine. Even, even recently, the discoveries have been significant. And there's pipelines that run through Ukraine, et cetera. So there's a lot going on there. And our national security has been jeopardized by this, uh, this chasing of the green, if you will. Um, okay, border. So uh, we talked a lot about the, or you talked a lot about the border. And that's certainly an issue. You know, one other aspect of the border is the fentanyl and the drugs that are coming across, uh, you know, almost undetected and unrestricted. Do you have any 
anything to add regarding the drug problem in America and our southern border? Absolutely. So China is bringing in fentanyl by the droves into South America and moving it through to the poorest borders. But also we have to look at the threat from China. People don't think about that. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, we buy everything. Apple comes from China. You know, the Chinese have built the largest pier down in Peru, which can house three aircraft carriers. So they control basically the Panama Canal now, which they do own the Panama Canal because the Panamanians defaulted on it. And so, you know, they they control that portion of it. They're bringing in um, a lot of fentanyl through there. And then the Chinese, I'm sorry, the Russians are are training a lot of liberation fronts like ELN against the Colombian government uh, because they're trying to fulfill what's called the Sao Paulo Forum, where they're they're trying to turn all South America into a communist country. You have Iran, who's doing a lot of illicit oil transfers down in South America, in Venezuela to get missile parts for their ballistic missile program. So you got a lot of problems there, including Trinidad, Tobago, you know, those tiny, tiny little islands off of Venezuela. That is the hotbed and the second largest per capita provider of ISIS fighters in the world. So these are things coming across our southern border. And it is a matter of national security in order to secure the border and get a reset. I mean, we've got 300,000 Chinese students in our universities. Imagine if 0.1% of them were spies. That's 300 spies in our places like uh, Johns Hopkins University, MIT, Stanford, where they're doing a lot of research for for government contracts. And political campaigns. I forget the congressman in California. Um, Oh, yes. Well, tell yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And also Barbara Boxer's uh, driver, who uh, for 20 years was a Chinese spy. Um, Education. So you mentioned education. And you are a product of the uh, Thomas Jefferson High School, the inaugural class for, for science and technology. Yes. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your experience as a high schooler and, and how that program developed and, and evolved and then where it's at now? Yes. So Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology was one of the first magnet schools of its kind that brought in people from all around the northern Virginia, not just Fairfax County, but all the surrounding counties as well. And it was a, a center for, for learning, really. It's just nerd, nerd high, right? I mean, that's what they used to make fun of us. You know, the skinny Asian kid that, that didn't know, <laughs> know much, you know. And, you know, we, we were all driven by the same thirst for knowledge. And, you know, we didn't have fights at our school. We didn't have gangs. The only thing we worried about is how to cram for the next test and, and uh, push each other. Half of my class was, uh, you know, addressed them as doctor. That's, that's how, how brilliant these kids were. And so it was an amazing school where we're pushing each other. And, and, you know, we had amazing research projects that really at at our collegiate level now, but what they just did is they changed the entrance criteria from being a a meritocracy to a program where where they're they're doing a a lottery so that they can fit certain demographics. And imagine our programs, our our military programs like uh, BUDS or, or dive school or EOD school, where we're like, you know what? We don't really care that you can't meet the minimum standards. We're just going to bring people in because we want certain demographics. You know, what that does, it chips away at the, the excellence that we're producing from those schools. So likewise with Thomas Jefferson, it's, it's, a, it's a shame that they had to attack that because what they're doing is they're, they decreased the number of Asian Americans that, that attend that school from 73% historically to 53%. You know, you believe in DE&I as much as I do, certainly. 
certainly you're somebody who's who's benefited from different types of programming but more than anything you've benefited from hard work you know your hard work the hard work of your family etc but this kind of destruction of our education system is is so counterproductive you know i'm i firmly believe that we should do the most we can for everybody but you know equal opportunity as as uh, jordan peterson says equal opportunity does not mean equal outcome. So it is meritocracy, uh, just as you said. So hopefully you're going to be able to have some influence when you're in office. Do you think that'll be a possibility? Absolutely. Now, one big thing is that there's things that a federal level uh, government does, and there are things that local, uh, and I want to push everything down to lowest level, kind of like we did in the military, right? You push it down to lowest level. The commanding officer doesn't need to see everything sometimes. The chief just takes care of it. You know, I had very few captain's masks, which is a non-judicial punishment at a command where predominantly uh, 18 to, to 22-year-olds that went through <laughs> in, in Panama City. Imagine Panama City, <laughs> where the hotbed of a spring break, and we had very, very few captain's masks. Why? Because the chief's mess took care of things. And if I saw them out PTing a class a little extra hard, I knew somebody screwed up. But that's what we leave it at lowest level possible because that's how representative government is supposed to work, right? The lowest level at the, the local level, then the, the, uh, the county level, then the state level, and then a federal level. Federal government is there to provide for a common defense and promote the general welfare. So in terms of education, what I would want to do is push it down to the states where it belongs, make sure that the money train doesn't go directly from the federal government straight to the schools, but from federal government to the state, then the state to the county. And But as a citizen of, of Loudoun County, what I want to do is use my influence to show up to these school boards and ask them why they're targeting parents, why they're, why they're attacking parents instead of partnering and working with them. It's really shocking. I mean, you know, why? I would just love to hear somebody's level-headed response, not emotional, but hey, what's your logical train of thought here? Why are, why are you uh, conducting these attacks? Uh, and there is, there is no logical answer as far as I'm concerned. I want to shift over to Afghanistan real quick. You served in, how many tours in Afghanistan did you do? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's, there's so many TDYs, you know, where we, yeah. we, we had over there, but uh, two, two tours in Afghanistan. But other than that, I mean, I had a lot of like one week trips over there yeah. to see my men and, and uh, yeah. you know, to, to check up on, on programs that were running over there. Yeah, for sure. So, so seeing Afghanistan unfold the way it did. Was it, uh, I, I know in your bio, we kind of referred to it a little bit, because your family flew a uh, surrendering Saigon or a falling Saigon, did that, was there a connection there for you or did that spring some type of emotion or, or uh, recall or recollection or anything? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I just left there. I, I, my last tour of, of combat was in, uh, I left in January, 2021. And uh, in fact, my brother-in-law was commanding general down south. And so we, we had a plan to leave 2,500 people there. General Miller, uh, Austin, uh, Scotty Miller, he goes, his, his name's Austin, but he goes by Scotty Miller. He had a plan to leave 2,500 special <coughs> operators there as a, at a base in order to do, you know, just to stomp out all the little fires that would uh, start up. And six months later, uh, the, the administration didn't do anything didn't approve it or disapprove it. They just did nothing and it fell apart. And just watching all of our, all of our sacrifice over there. I mean, I, the last person I buried over there was a, a Green Beret named uh, Chris McCoy. You know, why did I have to bury Chris in, in 2019? You know, when, when we're just gonna let the country fall apart. But the images of, of mothers handing babies to Marines, I mean, that's the same as, as when I left Vietnam where my mom didn't know we could all come through. You know, they had to make a decision like what if the Americans only took like two of the kids or five of the, you know, or four of the kids or three of the kids 
Uh, I mean, they had five, five children. And so they had to sew little notes into our clothes, you know, and some money saying, this is my son, please take care of him in case we get separated. But, you know, the same person that caused Kabul to fall caused Iraq to fall in 2010 when I was over there. You know, he came, he was the vice president of the United States at the time to try to negotiate the status force agreement. And he failed to do so. And we got kicked out. ISIS came about and go back to 1975. He was the same person that voted to end all aid to South Vietnam. And he even said, hey, we have no obligation to bring out one or 100,001 Vietnamese people out of, of Vietnam. So for me, this is a personal quest against a person who's made the wrong decision every step of the way for 50 years. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a weakness in our political system, for sure, to have somebody like Joe Biden be part of the process for his entire adult life and and really fail at uh, every single initiative. Your story coming out of Vietnam is compelling. And what if all five kids can't go? What a terrible thing for your parents to have to consider you know, and, and, and we're, we're seeing that in Afghanistan as well. So I think your firsthand experience, not just you, but your family, you know, that gives you a perspective that you can take into Congress and again, lead and, and share that perspective with others. Um, in terms of leading in Congress, do you, committee wise, uh, do you know where you want to go, where you're going to be placed? How does that process work and how are you going to have an influence when you're elected? Of course, the uh, House Majority Leader or, or basically the, the Speaker, uh, when, when we take over the, the Congress, will have the whole say in this. And, and there's going to be people advocating for you. And, and uh, so th- I've already had a lot of mentors uh, from the very get go, you know, uh, Ronnie Jackson and Brian Mast have really sat me down and said, okay, it's not about what you want to get on, but it's what helps your district. You know, everybody wants to get on the appropriations committee because that's the most powerful committee because that's the guys who actually, you know, sign the checks for the different programs. Uh, And, you know, that's why I always question why the incumbent, the person I'm running against is on the appropriations committee, even though she's only a a four-year congresswoman. You know, how, how do you get on there when you're so junior? And it's because she's a rubber stamp for Nancy Pelosi. Now, going back to what, what's best for our district, uh, my district has a lot of the defense contracting up there. So uh, headquarters of SAIT, uh, GDIT, Lockheed Martin, and I think that um, Raytheon's moving their headquarters down, as well as Boeing's moving their headquarters to, to Virginia, the nor- Northern Virginia. So the largest employer is the defense contracting. And I'm not talking about just those big companies because they, they subcontract to the smaller companies, the small businesses, the mom and pop shops. And that affects our, our industry. And so when we talk about inflation, uh, right now our inflation rate is about 8.5%. And when I wrote the Navy's budget, we always anticipated a 2% delta um, inflation. So that's a delta of 6.5%. So the $700 billion defense budget, we're talking about $46 billion that we're already in the hole. From the day they, they, uh, they, they appropriated the money, we're already $46 billion behind. So to put that in terms that people understand, that's the cost of four brand new aircraft carriers. That's wow. the cost of 36 guided missile destroyers or 30, 335 F-35 joint strike fighters, stuff we need in the, the South China Sea right now. So I would love to be on the House of Armed Services Committee in order to help uh, formulate and, and, and take care of this, this delta that we're, we're, we're posed upon because of bad leadership from the executive branch. The second thing is, is also uh, education labor. Uh, because of what's going on in Loudoun County with the schools, 
teaching things that, that really teach the students don't need to know. Why does my kindergartner need to, to know about what transgender is? You know, I mean, why do we need to know about same-sex marriage? Like, honestly, they need to learn about reading, writing, arithmetic. That's, that's really what they need. Coming from a STEM background, that's what we need to push. We don't need to socially engineer children. We need to educate them and not indoctrinate them. So those are the two committees I would love to be on is to, to take care of, you know, take care of the industry in, in uh, the 10th district and take care of the school issues in, in the 10th district as well. As, and again, this is not just about the 10th district. This will have a, a repercussion across the United States. Yeah, absolutely. Across the state of Virginia and across the U.S. for sure. Um, you mentioned Ronnie Jackson. So last night we were at the Navy Special Operations Foundation Gala, a huge event that's held uh, every year. This, this would have been the, I think, the fourth or fifth year but we had a couple of year pause due to COVID. But uh, the Navy Special Operations Foundation is a foundation that was established to help Navy EOD technicians and Navy divers, uh, you know, the frontline people facing danger on a daily basis. Um, our community, and that's my community, Navy EOD Special Operations, that's Hung's community. It's the community that we served on active duty. But the Navy Special Operations Foundation was established to help families, you know, individuals and families across um, a, a range of things. And uh, last night was the gala held at the Hilton, Maine in Norfolk and a wonderful event. But our keynote speaker was Congressman Ronnie Jackson. And hopefully Ronnie is going to be on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast uh, at some point in the not too distant future. In Ronnie's keynote, he acknowledged the fact that Hung is running for Congress and how, in his opinion, the number of people who ha- with prior service in Congress is at its all-time low. And he thinks that's part of the problem, the gridlock in Washington is um, uh, people who don't have military discipline and a military background don't have the ability to compromise as well and to find common ground. And I think he's 100% 100 correct about that. So it was awesome to have Admiral retired Ronnie Jackson, you know, the, uh, the physician to President Bush, President Obama, President Trump. Now he's a congressman. He was in Panama City as an instructor when I was there. I just knew him as Doc Jackson, but that was super fun. And then there's some other special operators that he mentioned that are running as well. And so do you have uh, a network, if you will, um, along those lines? Absolutely. Uh, SEAL Pack is, is a, an organization started by Ryan Zinke, a former SEAL, and yeah. then, uh, he's a former congressman. Then he's also the former Secretary of uh, Interior for <laughs> President Trump. And now he's running for a brand new district that that start up in Montana. And then uh, the 7th district, I can't remember who's running there, but I believe that's a a former special operator as well. Yeah, there's two, there's a bunch, there's, it's a crowded race also. There's about uh, six people in there, but two of them are special operators. One's a ranger, uh, Bryce uh, Reeves, and and then Derek Anderson, who is a Green Beret, who lost his large portion of his team from the largest uh, friendly fire Mm. incident Mm. in, in Afghanistan. Mm, man, hate, hate to hear that. Hate to hear about that. So this this unity in Congress can really be enhanced by getting more people who served. And that's that's men and women. Jen Kiggins was at our table last night. She's running for the second district, which is my home district. Um, former Navy helicopter pilot, nurse practitioner. She'll be a guest on Elevate Your Leadership coming up soon as well. Again, I'm biased because I served for 26 years, but I think there's just such tremendous value in the leadership that prior uh, people with prior service bring to the Congress. And, and going back to leadership in the Congress, and I realize that when you get elected, you're the, you're the freshman, you're not the Navy captain, you're not the commanding officer, you know, you're kind of the new guy. With that, 
you know, how can you take the leadership that you've learned and lived in the military for 26 years and translate that into the halls of Congress? You know, leadership is leadership is leadership, right? I mean, it's uh, that's what we're trying to tell people, whether you're leading a small team to leading a command or like right now I, I work for CACI uh, Khaki and, you know, just leading there, just helping them develop uh, the next technology to, you know, help our military. And then in, uh, in Congress, even in my, my entire race here, uh, it's, it's leading a team of advisors who helped me with my campaign. And, you know, if I ever wrote a book, it would be everybody's a freaking consultant, right? Because everybody <laughs> comes out and they've got their two cents and they want to tell you what to do. But the way I, I, I lead is that I have a team that I trust. If I don't trust that team, then they need, I need a new team. But if I trust them, I have to let them do their thing. So when people come in, hey, you need to tell your team to do this, like, okay, for my first question is how many races have you won? Because it's less than one, then you need to just stop, which, you know, no, no, no disrespect to them, but my team is, was handpicked and, and uh, recommended to me by guys like Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis. So I, I trust them wholeheartedly and they've, they haven't, you know, they haven't steered me wrong. They got That's, you through the primary. Exactly. I mean, yeah. exactly. <laughs> a, a very crowded primary where we brought out a record amount of primary voters. We had twice as many voters in a primary than they've ever had in the 10th district. And so this is because of a team that that used the money that we, they were good stewards of the money that, that was donated to us. And they, everything was very tactical for a strategic mm-hmm. win. And mm-hmm. so that's where, when you trust your team, you trust them hundred percent and, and you, you go with what they say, kind of like in, in the military, you know, for in the Navy, especially, Hey, trust your chief's mess, right? That's what I, they always taught me. Hey, trust the chief's mess, tr- trust the goat locker. And, and, uh, and that's what I did is I, I trusted my, my team to do what they needed to do. And likewise, when I go into Congress, I'm not supposed to know everything, right? I mean, uh, it's impossible. There's so many issues. People come up to me, ask me about uh, Medicaid waivers, you know, for special needs children. I'm like, I have no idea. And I'll study up on it. Or, or in Prince William County, the, the uh, Prince William County Gateway, which is all these data centers that are popping up and they're trying to, they're trying to destroy the uh, National Battle Park of, of Manassas. Well, I have to study up on it and I have experts and I listen to those experts and they give me advice and, you know, I weigh yes or no. And then, and I go with what they recommend. So that's what I plan to do in Congress also. And also the other thing we do in militaries, we build coalitions, right? Um, we, we work together with, especially in, in joint forces and allied forces, we build coalitions, we get everybody moving in the same direction. And so that's my goal is to use the leadership I've learned in in my entire military career to propel forward, hopefully get, get good legislation through and, and really stop this mad spending of, of our money. Uh, the U.S. is bleeding right now and we're bleeding more than money. You know, when we look at, again, drugs coming across the border and um, the, this, this economy that's just spiraling downward. If you don't mind for a quick second, I'd like to talk about your son who is on his way to the Naval Academy. You have got to be one of the proudest dads in the world right now. And uh, what, a, what a journey for your son growing up. And uh, we'll just take a second there and see if there's anything you want to say. No, I'm so proud of him. And there's nothing better for a parent than when the kid wants to follow in their footsteps. Honestly, in my heart, I, I, I cringe at him going to the military because I've seen how woke it's become and I'm afraid of what he's going to face. His, his challenges will be a lot different from ours. And again, the military is not an easy life. Right? I mean, you and I have moved around so much. Our children have been picked up, rooted up and, and thrown in different things. Uh, in fact, one of the things uh, I, I, was, had, I had a fight with, with the uh, NAACP is when they try to say that 
military children are privileged. I'm like, really? You think getting picked up every 18 months and starting new a new school is privileged. I mean, my, I had to write my son when we invaded Iraq in uh, 2003. I had to write him because my wife was uh, eight months pregnant at the time. I had to write him letters saying, son, you're 10 years old now, double digits. You know, son, you're 16 years old. You're, you're, you're about to have the responsibility of driving a car. Son, you're 18 years old. You're about to be a man. These are things that you and I had to do and other many other military members had to do. And thank goodness we didn't have to go through with it. But because I know a lot of uh, gold star families who, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they had to open those letters. Mm-hmm. And, they're, they're, and they're still opening those letters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's hard. But this is where his heart is. He wants to go uh, serve in the military. So he applied for the Naval Academy. He was sent to one year to a prep school down in Alabama. And then now he's uh, in 18 days. He starts to, with the United States Naval Academy as a class of 2026. So and that's also a sign of incredible parenting as far as I'm concerned. Um, you, you did move, I think 13 times you said, and, um, and I experienced that as well. And, and I know what it's like, and my family members know what it's like, not all military children handle that well. And I've seen that many times also. Uh, so it's, there's no privilege. There's no, uh, you know, there's challenge and there's struggle and the more unified a family is, the more they get through that. And, and I've seen the strong family models survive uh, move after move after move. And um, it's, it's hard work. It's all it is. It's hard work. Nothing more, nothing less. And, uh, and good leadership at, uh, at the parent level. Okay, Hung Kao, is there anything that I have left out? What else should we talk about? No, I mean, we, we've covered everything from leadership, but this is all about leadership, right? We need leaders in Congress. I think, you, like you said, there's only 89 out of 535 uh, members of Congress, as well as the Senate. There's only 89 veterans. There's something wrong with that. In Australia, you know, the, uh, they, they have the war memorial right across the street from the parliament so that it reminds members of the parliament when they leave every day the cost of war. And I think no one knows that better than, than veterans who've had to bury friends, bury loved ones that the cost of war and why we shouldn't go in there willy-nilly. But if we do decide to go in there, we have to let our troops win. We have to give them the tools to win. And, and that's what we plan to do is just take care, of, take care of our troops because the sacrifice of military members are still being, they're still paying that, that toll even after their service, right? When 22 a day that commit suicide. And, and that's, that's a statistic that, that we need to bring down. We need to take care of them. Yeah, we sure do. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I am lucky to have benefited from some of the uh, programs for health and wellness, mental health in particular. Did you go to NICO? I sure did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you know the benefits of that. So, so for the listeners, NICO is National Intrepid Center of Excellence. It's Na- basically a TBI clinic. Yeah, a National Intrepid Center of Excellence, a TBI clinic. Uh, TBI and or PTSD. I went to the veterans version out in Aurora, Colorado, and it was an amazing experience. You went to the one in Bethesda, I would yes. imagine. But uh, but we're, what we're talking about here is mental health and wellness, brain health in particular. And that's something that's becoming more and more challenging, not just for military folks, but for, for anybody across the U.S., is there a way in the Congress you can influence the overall health and wellness of Americans? Absolutely. We need to, to study mental health a little better and, and be more open, have, have better channels for, for people to, uh, you know, to seek mental health. 
it's just everything from, from being locked down in, in COVID to traumatic experiences. Like my wife is an EMT. Some of the things she sees out there on the field, just horrific accidents, our, our first responders. I mean, those are things that we need to really take care of. I mean, you'd never know what, what affects a person differently, a house fire or an accident that they see along the road. I mean, we need to, we need to take care of that. Yeah. And I think the way to, to do that is to model, model that behavior to begin with, right? We have to make health and wellness a priority for ourselves, uh, giving us that, that high executive functioning, that higher level executive functioning, right? So there's a lot of lot of ways to describe executive functioning, but for me, it's quite simply the ability to see, to hear, and to think, right? If I can see properly and I can hear properly, then I know what it is I have to think about and what my thought process is. A big part of, I would say, the downfall of America right now is our health and wellness. And we are, I think, 43rd in life expectancy. We have the best medical system. We have the most access to prescription medication uh, and to to good uh, health and dietary habits. And yet we're 43rd in life expectancy. And and 70% of chronic disease in America is caused by poor dietary choices. So I think Congress really needs to jump on that. Okay. I'll give you the last word. No, uh, like I said, this is why I'm running for Congress. I'm not planning to make a career out of this. It's never meant to be a career. You go in there, do your thing and move on. Just like the military, you, that's why we have a certain amount of our tour duties are very short because it's time to head off to somebody else because you don't get in, into the rut of, well, this is how we've always done it, right? We always need fresh minds and fresh ideas to come in there to invigorate the system. I'm, I'm running for all of us. I'm, I'm, I'm there to be the representative. And I say different tribes because I'm there to represent the 10th district. I'm there to represent military veterans. I'm there to represent you know, science and technology. I'm there to represent the Asian community. I'm there to represent everybody. I mean, really, it's 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 the different tribes that we belong to that we bring, and that's the diversity we always talk about. It's just all the experiences we bring because of our background and our life experience. Yeah, which, and you talk about diversity. I mean, we could start a whole nother podcast discussion just based on our experience in the military, you know, DE&I in the military, which we didn't call it DE&I. We called it honor, courage, and commitment. We called it core values. We called it being a good teammate. And, um, you know, I, and we swore an oath. And I wish that, you know, in, in the private sector, uh, that's the way people need to conduct themselves. Swear an oath to your organization and to your teammates and be a good teammate. Hung Kao, thank you very much for coming to Virginia Beach and appearing live on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. And how can people get a hold of you and how can people help your campaign? Thank you. Uh, go to hungcowforcongress.com. So that's H-U-N-G-C-A-O for congress.com. This is going to be an expensive race. And, and the, the, what the money goes to is to, to be able to reach out to voters through commercials, to ads, to mailers. And that's that's what where the, the fight is, is to be able to reach all 900,000 constituents in Virginia's 10th district. And, uh, you know, and times are hard for all of us. So I always ask people, hey, I'd rather have a dollar from from a million people than a million dollars for one person. But, you know, because it shows that, that I've got this whole backing. So, like I said, time is hard. I mean, it's 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 five dollars a gallon. So all I'm asking for is a few dollars from each person so I can really show that, that I've got this huge backing behind me. So anything that you guys can provide would be great. Again, it's H-U-N-G-C-A-O for congress.com. That's awesome. Navy Special Operations. We generated a lot of money last night. We are a capable community. Let's contribute to Hung's campaign and let's get him elected. Hung Kao, thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. 
Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com and connect with him on LinkedIn.